But I'm Jeff, I'm one of the pastors, and uh, it's my privilege to uh, uh, bring the word today. This is so fun, this sermon series that Ben led us off with last week. So, so good. This is a celebration of how we have, are you kidding me? It's like the lotto winnings of good news, the love and the grace and the restoration and the rescue of Jesus. Like we have experienced the love of God and we get to share that with the world. And so this series is, is uh, five things that we get to share with the world. And, you know, you may just be a little, you may be somebody who grew up in this setting where you're like, gosh, it's a little weird when we think about sharing our faith or whatever. This is really, you guys, we put it in this, this phraseology and with this silly, lo, you know, lotto uh, imagery to say, can you believe what good news this is? And then the scriptures go on to tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians tells us, and Christ's love compels us to tell other people. So we want to frame, no matter how you grew up, no matter what kind of church environment you came from, we want to reframe, frame, reframe, frame, or reframe this idea that sharing the good news of Jesus is out of the, it's the love of Christ we get to share. And that is incredibly good news you know what we're trying to do here? Is we're trying to demystify this idea of evangelism or evangelical, which has sort of gotten hijacked in the last few years, probably in the last 20 years. But what we're trying to say is this is the great news that we have in Jesus. Out of the love of Jesus, we get to share it. And that should free us all. Hopefully there's gonna be some good news in this. So we're gonna talk about... uh, the five things we get to share with the world out of that love. And the first one is we get to share our stories. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a second, that we, just, we get to share our stories. But I want to come back to that idea that it's out of love and it's out of good news that we share this good news. You know, the term go, the go, the evangelism, you know what it means. Do you know what it means? Evangelism is about, about it's not anything that has to do with the gospel. And the gospel means good news. And so evangelism is simply getting to share the good news. And evangelicals are people who believe that there is this love-centric message for the whole world that Jesus is all that we've been looking for and that he comes to the world in unconditional love. That language, a love-centric message, that's actually, I got that out of the Atlantic Monthly, you know, that big, strong Christian uh, journal. When they were explaining evangelicalism, they were like, evangelicals are people who believe the love of God compels them to share the love of God with other people. Isn't that great news? And that's what we're gonna do. Talk about our stories in just a second. You know, I was somebody who grew up in an era where evangelism was kind of done by weird people in rude ways. <laughs> like somebody on a street corner with a megaphone just looking for ways to offend every single person who walked by, right? Um, and, and so, you know, for a lot of us, it has, it's kind of, we've got a little bit of a distaste in that. And so, again, I want to demystify that. I want to talk about the good news. I actually grew up in an era where when I was in college and I was a part of a Christian group, we made a pact, a whole bunch of us, that we would go share our faith every single day. Now, now listen, you, you notice that I didn't say that we shared the good news. We would just share the faith every day. And I remember walking across campus, three o'clock, you know, got four hours of class in me already. You know, remember how campus life was and like, okay, good day. I'm going home. And then I'd think, oh, I didn't share the faith, my faith with anybody yet today. And so I would go across the quad and look for a victim. (laughs) Right? I'd be like, yo, what's your name? 
you win. <laughs> I want to tell you about Jesus. And they'd be like, I don't want to hear about Jesus. I'd be like, too bad, I made a pact. <laughs> the funny thing about that was, though, if the good news is of the love and the rescue and the grace of God and Christ's love compels us to share that good news, that was kind of all missing in my conversations. Now, I loved those people and cared about them, but I didn't know them from Adam, didn't invite them into my life, wasn't inviting myself, being invited into their life, but they were, became a project in a sense, right? Where I was just gonna be like, here, I'm supposed to do this. You guys, we wanna take that away from our knowledge, our thinking about what it looks like to be agents of the good news in the world. It is the love, the rescue, and the grace of God We've experienced it. It's so, so good. And Christ's love, that love that we experience, compels us to share that with other people. So we're going to talk about, for the next five weeks, five things we get to share with the world, and it's all good news, and it should be, bring freedom. You trust me? You ready for this? And today, again, I said, we, we talk, we're going to talk about how we get to share our story. We get to share our story. See, and I'm not discounting just this one part. We're just talking about how we get to share our story. Because fundamentally, this is really what it's almost at its, at its most simple form. Sharing the gospel is about sharing our story. It's about sharing what happened to us. In a minute, I'm going to walk you through. It's about sharing who I was before I knew anything about Jesus and how God was wooing me and and how I met Jesus, and then what's happened in my life since. That's our story, and we get to share that with people. It's not about, I'm not discounting the fact that we'll have deep theological conversations with people. We'll have lots of philosophical and historical arguments, for lack of a better word, with people. We'll have deep and rich and vibrant and you know, rigorous conversations about what's true and history and church history, and we'll have all those conversations, and I'm not discounting that, but most of us, our expertise, our knowledge, to actually speak on those things, they're a lot more limited than our ability to speak of my story, who I was, how God wooed me, how I met Jesus, and what's happened in my life since. And there's power in that as we're going to look at. So we get to share our story, and that's great news that we get to share our story. I want you to turn it with me to John chapter 9. There's a story in the... Uh, uh, um, an account of Jesus's life there that I want you to look at. I'm not going to have all the verses on the screen because there's too many of them. So I'd love to have you turn with me. So, so grab a Bible, a device, John chapter nine. I'll take a minute and let you get there. Um, somebody who has a church Bible can tell us what page it's on. 1074. Thank you, Emily. 1074. John chapter nine, starting on page 1074, and we'll go to verse one. I'll give you just a quick sec to get there. <clears throat> I wish I had so much time to go through this story with you guys because there's so many things that are fascinating about it. But what I want you to not miss in this is this is a story where Jesus meets a person and heals him, and he heals him of his blindness. And, it's in the, and, and, and there's so much in there about how Jesus brings light to the world, which is about us sharing the good news that Jesus is the answer for what the world is longing for, right? But what I want you to notice is the guy's spiritual journey and his story, and what goes on in his story. So here we go, John chapter 9, verse 1. So as he went along, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, first of all, again, I don't, we don't have a ton of time, but you got to go back and study this passage. What a crazy thing for them to say. This is like, like Jesus encounters a man with deep need, and the disciples stand sort of over him. Now picture it, this, 
I mean, blind people then, somebody who was suffering from any kind of a disability or a, they, they, they could not work to take care of themselves, so what they did was they basically postured themselves on the side of the road to receive charity from people going by so they could buy enough food to survive and eat. So that's what this is about. So here's this person, the broken and the poor of that culture, on the side of the road. Jesus encounters him, and the disciples get all theological about it. It's like, how objectifying. The poor guy is sitting there suffering, and they're like, let's talk theology, Jesus. So how come this guy over here, and the question they asked was so brutal, it gave away some of the Pharisaic teaching of the time that believed that if you suffered from a malady like that, it was because you sinned. Even in utero, you sinned in utero, and that's why you were blind. Or most likely, it was your parents, and you were being punished for it. What a burden of not good news to put on the world, by the way. But as we know from our tender father and from the rest of the gospel story, that stuff like that happens because we live in a broken world, but that God doesn't cause that suffering, and nor does he repay that kind of suffering because of the punishment like that. And Jesus just answers that right away. Verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that we might see the works of God manifest here. Now listen, I I don't want you to get lost there. You're like, well, that sounds like it happened so that Jesus could do this miracle. That's actually not the meaning of the Greek. And I spent a ton of time studying. There's something called a hoti clause. And we look at the way John uses that in his other writings. Listen, I went deep because I didn't want to mislead you. And I don't want us to be misled by the text. What it really, what, I mean, the best way to sort of rephrase that for us is that Jesus is like, look at you guys, your theology is all wrong. This guy isn't, he isn't blind because he sinned or his parents sinned. But this has happened and now let's manifest the work of God in his life. This is real. Now let's bring the love of God to this situation. This is real. Let's bring the kingdom of God to this situation. As long as it's day, he says, verse four, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is like, there's work to be done. There's brokenness in the world. We're gonna apply that work to this brokenness that's happening. Now let's go. So this is this guy's story that he had this encounter with Jesus. And then look at what happens. Verse six, after saying this, Jesus, that is, spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. You know, Have you been to a spa? I mean, this is what he did. He made like a mud mask. Last hour, I didn't even know what this was called. People were like, it's called a mud mask. I'm like, I don't know. I've never been. I've seen the pictures in Calistoga. You pay like $200 and you get in the mud. So So Jesus makes mud on his eyes and then it stays on his eyes. And he goes, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So the man went, end of verse seven, and he washed, and he came home seeing. Oh, the work of God manifest in his life. His neighbors and those around formerly, uh, who had formerly seen him begging said, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg and some others claimed that he was? Others said, no, he, he only looks like him. Of course, they're saying, this can't be the same guy because that guy was blind, but this guy can see, so he must not be the same guy. Verse 10, so they asked him, oh, but he insisted, no, I'm the man. Like, this is me, you guys, this happened to me. Verse 10, How then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he goes, the man that they called Jesus put some mud on my eyes with his spit 
and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went through the city with this mud mask on. People had to guide me there to the pool on the far south side of the city. When I washed, I could see. And what do you notice about this? How great is this? They're like, how did this happen? He's like, he put mud on my eyes. <laughs> the answer is, I don't, I don't know how this happened. This is unprecedented. Verse 12, where is this man, they said? He goes, I, I, I don't know. So verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man said, <laughs> and I washed and now I see. They're all confused in the theology of it. How can this guy be, uh, how can he have healed you on the Sabbath? How did this really happen? Tell us the truth. And all he has to share is his story. Some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God. How does he do? Because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And others said, well, if he was, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they're divided. Like, who's this Jesus? And verse 17, when they turned again to the blind man, they say, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And he's like, he replied, he's a prophet. There should be a question mark there. He's like, I don't know. He's a prophet. Like, prophets were from God. Like, this guy's clearly from God because he goes on to talk about all of that later on. So they're like, well, let's go to his parents. Hey, parents, is this your son? Did you say he was blind? How is it that they, we see now? And they're like, I don't know. Go ask him. I think he said something about he got mud put on his eyes. <laughs> and now he can see. Skip down to verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. Tell us the truth. What happened here? He goes, we know this man is a sinner. Verse 25. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. The freedom in having an encounter with Jesus and then sharing our story out of the good news of how he has touched us and changed our lives, the freedom to go, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but here's what happened to me. And now I can see is what God has asked us to do in order to give testimony to the fact that Jesus has been real in the world and has been real in our lives. Isn't that great freedom that when you see it in that context? I wanna look again at us sharing our story as one of the ways in which we get to share this good news with the world. We get to share our story. And I'm gonna tell you three things, like I said before. I'm gonna tell you that sharing our story consists simply of sharing who we were before we knew Jesus, how we came to know Jesus, and what's happened in our life since we got to know Jesus. That's what it's simply about. And then I'm gonna give you some potential tips and life hacks about what this might look like in Marin County in the 21st century. So our unique story simply consists of this. It consists of our history, our unique history, and how God was wooing us. It's about sharing our unique story and how God was in that story, how God was wooing us in that story. This man's story was that he was born blind. He experienced the life of being in the lowest class in that society. Think about the wounds that he may have sustained at that time, being bullied, being looked down upon. Now listen, so many of our stories, you guys, we can relate to this. We're like, this was my story. And this was the way 
God used my story to woo in my heart of hearts that there was more to life, that there was healing and dignity and love and acceptance and, right? This is, this is what our stories do. Not one of us has a story that God has not used to woo you to come one day to meet him. That's good news. And so sharing our story is about just sharing our unique history and that God had been at work in that story. What was your story? Where God, before you knew Jesus, where God was using that to draw you to himself. Our friends in the recovery community are like, I, no problem, I'll tell you right now what it was. Man, I got this disease of addiction and it was wrecking me. And inside, I was like, there's gotta be freedom. There's got to be, ready, wait for it, a higher power. And God drew me to himself through what my story looked like. Some of you are like, my story? I grew up in the church, and every Sunday I ruled the joint. I ran around like crazy, and I was loved and cared for by Sunday school teachers and pastors and youth pastors and youth group, and I went to junior high camp, and Jesus rocked my planet eight times a a year, that was my story, and he just kept wooing me that the family of God was where life was found. How good news is that? But no matter what our story was, God was at work in it. And when we share out of the love of Christ that we've received, when we share that story with the world, we share our unique history and how it was that God wooed us in it. Because it touches other people then. They go, oh, so my story, God could woo me as well, and they might look at their story in a way to say, hmm, I wonder what God's trying to say to me in my heart of hearts. When we share this, this is what our stories are all about. This is what we share. We just we share, this is where I was before I met Jesus. And we share that having grace for ourselves, grace for them. We don't say, I was a loser like you once before. <laughs> and we don't do that because it's rude. And we don't do that because probably you were way more of a loser than them. And we don't do that because we're not sharing bad news, we're sharing good news. And the good news was God used my story to woo me. That's a redemptive look at our stories, right? Secondly, uh, sharing our story simply consists of the unique way in which we then finally, in that wooing, met Jesus. So we finally ended up meeting Jesus. The guy in our story in John 9, he had a kind of a chance encounter. I don't know if he had some conversation uh, with Jesus before, and he was on the side of the road waiting for him. There's a story about Bartimaeus, another uh, uh, person, blind person who he healed, who said he was sitting on the side of the road waiting for Jesus to come by. Maybe that was it. But there was some encounter with Jesus, and I don't think there's anything so um, specific, I don't think there's anything literally that's a chance encounter, because I believe in the sovereignty of God who meets us in our lives and stories. But where was it that that happened where you were like, oh, I'm gonna give my life to Jesus now. That part of your story, where did that happen? Where did that become so true in you? When I gave my life to Christ, when I was 13 years old in that youth group, you've heard me tell the story before that it was the very first time I heard about Jesus and I was like, this is true and I want this and I'm gonna surrender my life to Christ. I was 13, how did I know it was true? There's no reason that I knew it was true. There's no way I could defend that it was true. I would hide my Bible from people because I was afraid that they'd ask me like, what are you doing? And why do you believe that? And I'd be like, I don't know, but it's true, y'all. <laughs> I met Jesus. 
And there's no defending that. That's what's so great, by the way, about how, what do we get to share with the world? We share our stories. We're not, I'll talk about this in a minute. I don't have to defend that. But I encountered Jesus. And in my case, it was in a junior high youth group at a rando church in Oakland, California, right? But God had this in my story designed to go now. Give me your life. Surrender to me, and this will be the first day of the rest of your life, and we'll walk it together. Which was part of my wooing, because I lived with a wound that maybe I was going to be on my own. And Jesus is all, and I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you. So as we do, we share our stories. We're going to share a unique history and how God was wooing us. Then we share how we, we uniquely finally met Jesus, which we don't have to defend because it's us meeting Jesus. And then last, we're going to talk about how, what he's uniquely done in our life so far. And we're going to give testimony to the fact that we have been changed, that our hearts have been filled, that we've experienced some healing, maybe not as dramatic as the guy in the story, but we will be testifying to the fact that when I met Jesus, my mind, my heart, even my body was different because of the love of God and the presence of the Spirit in my life. I think about the guy in, uh, in John chapter 9. He shared what Jesus had done in his life, but it really wasn't much. He didn't have much to go on, did he? It was super fresh. They're like, tell us what this is about. And he's like, I don't know. But I, now I can see. In fact, if you go to the end of the chapter, which we don't have time to do right now, but if you go to the end of the chapter, after the Pharisees finally got tired of him, because they're like, you tell us, did you, uh, how did it happen? He's like, I don't know. Do you want to become a believer? And they're like, all right, now you've gone too far. <laughs> they kick him out of the, uh, of the synagogue or whatever, and Jesus goes and finds him again. Now, wait a minute now. In his process of discovering who Jesus was, Jesus went and found him again, had another encounter with him. Jesus went out and found him again and had another encounter with him. And Jesus said to him in that encounter, so, heard you got kicked out of the synagogue. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy goes, tell me who he is. And Jesus said, it's me. And he goes, then yes. And it says, then he, and he worshiped him. So there's this progressive development. But he just, when we share our stories, we don't say, and I've arrived, and I'm perfectly healed, and I understand everything. We share that God is coming to us again and again and keeps coming and finding us and encountering us in order to bring healing and love and change, transformation. Isn't that your story? And that's what we just keep sharing with people out of love, out of the same love we've experienced. Okay, so what does that look like? So this is, this is, our, this is the unique story of our, our history and how God's always been in it, of how we met Jesus and what, what happened and then what he's done in our life since. And we share that, we share that in love and uh, it's our story. And it's so freeing because we don't have to share anybody else's story. We don't have to do anything other than share our story. So what does this look like in the 21st century in Marin County? Here we go. I'm going to fly through some stuff for you that I just don't want you to miss. Number one, sharing our story is about being a witness. 
It's about being a witness. This is exactly what I've been talking about. It's just being a witness. What does a witness do, friends? Yeah, witness just tells the truth of what they know and have seen. Right? And they don't talk about what they don't know. They don't make up stuff. They just talk about what they've seen and what they've heard. This, is the, this verse is used in Acts um, uh, chapter 1 when Jesus, this is after his resurrection, before his ascension, that he connected with his disciples. They gathered around him one last time and they asked him, Lord, so what's going to happen here, man? You, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, how is this whole thing going to work? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. He's like, listen, I'm not going to tell you how this is all going to unfold, but for you now, this is what I want you to do. He goes, but you you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here's what's going to happen, Jesus says. They're like, what's the next season? What's going to happen? You're ascending to heaven. What's going to happen? He's like, the Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to have power to testify, to tell what you've seen and heard. Don't make that super religious. Don't overwhelm that into something where now all of a sudden you're going to make a project out of people. Don't get a bullhorn and go in the street corner unless Jesus told you to, and then make sure he told you to, and then make sure I want to come if that's the case. But otherwise, you testify to what you've seen and heard. What's your unique history and how God was wooing you? How'd you find Christ? What's happened in your life since? You're going to be witnesses. That's what witnesses do. Here's what witnesses do not do. Witnesses are not prosecuting attorneys. Witnesses are not defendants. Witnesses are not winning an argument. Friends, witnesses are telling what they've seen and what they've heard. That's what they're doing. You feel free in that? We're gonna talk about the, how God's love has come and found us. So that's what we're gonna be. We're gonna be witnesses. Paul did that. You look in the book of Acts in chapter 22. He was in front of a big crowd in Jerusalem and he just told them, this is how I used to be. I was a Pharisee. And then this is how I met Christ. I was on a road to Damascus. In fact, I was actually gonna go try to kill some Christians, but that's another story. The light came from heaven, etc. And he goes, and now this is the call that God's put on my life. And I've been set free from the law and have been saved by grace. Paul tells the story, Acts 22. He tells the story, Acts 26. We just tell, we're just, we just give testimony to what we've seen and what we've heard, who we were, what's happened in our lives. Another thing I want to tell you about witnesses before I forget is that we don't have to know everything. Right? A witness is like, witness gets asked a question, well, what about this? A witness can go, yeah, actually, I don't know. See, he spit on some dirt and he put it on my eyes. Well, how did he do that? Was he, I, yeah, see, I don't know. But now I see there's nothing wrong with that, you guys. The story of our guy in John, chapter 9, three times we went through this whole text exhaustively. Three times you kind of saw it already. They're like, so wait, so what happened? And he's like, <laughs> I was blind. Then this weird couple of things happened. Now I see. That's your story, church. That's my story. This, this is how I was living. And then this stuff started to happen. And for some of you, that was one day. For some of you, that was five years. And now I see. So witnesses don't have to know everything. But they know that once they know that it's true, they testify to it. And nobody's going to convince them it's not true. In fact, you know what the word witness is in the Greek? Martyr. 
It became a word in our language because believers throughout the ages would rather die than to not tell the truth about what happened to them, even when it wasn't politically correct and maybe was physically dangerous. All right. Oh, man, look at this. I'm already out of time. Here we go. Lightning round. <laughs> sharing our story is about being witnesses. Second, sharing your story is invitational and respectful. Sharing our story is invitational and respectful. Sharing our story is going to be invitational. It's going to be life on life. It's going to be inviting people in. It's going to be because we were invited in. It goes both ways. It's respectful of where somebody is at the time. This is not just me being like politically correct. This is not me being like don't put your faith on somebody else. This is us believing that if somebody's spiritually hungry, that we'll be invited into that conversation. It says that in the scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 3. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, period. Make Jesus your Savior. Once that's true, if he is your Lord and you walk with him, then you better be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. That's what the scripture says. If Jesus is your Lord, then people are going to be like, there's some up with you. Talk to me about your life. That is an invitation to share with them your story. And so, and we're going to do that, the next sentence says, with gentleness and respect. We're going to invite people in. We're not going to treat them as projects. And we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit is wooing them because their spiritual hunger from their story is at such a place where they're ready to hear your story of how God wooed you and how you gave your life to Jesus and what has happened since. We're going to believe that God's going to be orchestrating that. I'm going to tell you this, and it's okay if you disagree with me. You ready? I'm going to tell you this. If somebody doesn't want to hear about Jesus, then it is not time for you to tell them about Jesus. And some of you may go, well, yeah, but their eternal life is, the destiny is in peril. Like, I, I don't, whether they want it or not, I got to. Scriptures don't back up you using a sledgehammer to tell somebody something they're not ready to hear. It doesn't. And in all my years of sharing my faith every day on campus and doing all of that stuff, it's never been helpful when somebody's like, I don't want to talk about that. And I'm like, tough, I'm talking to you about it. Why? Because it's not good news then. We're not sharing our lives. You're like, oh, you're going to miss an opportunity. What if that person, listen, a sovereign God, and then jump to the fourth point here for me, Micah. This only has power because the Holy Spirit is involved. Right? The Holy Spirit uses it. And if somebody's not ready to hear, then God's got somebody else later when they're ready to hear. Or you loving somebody and being engaged in their life will create an opportunity later for them to say, I need to talk to you about your story with Jesus. And so there's freedom because it's not on us. We're not winning an argument. We're not making a convert. We're not forcing ourselves on somebody. We're trusting the Holy Spirit. And when somebody is spiritually hungry, like it says on our wall, that one of God's people, like us, who have set apart Christ as Lord, will be ready to share our story with them. Isn't that good news? And last, and it's this third point that, that I, I just blew right by, but Sharing our story is also about articulating what our, what our life already demonstrates. It's about articulating what's already being seen in our life. Sharing our story is just about giving words to what they're already seeing about you. 
And do you hear the little, little pastoral nudge there? Because if they're not seeing any hope, any life, any love, any transformation, any devotion to Christ, then your words will have very little effect. Your story will be hollow and untrue to them. That's why that verse, verse Peter said, set apart Christ as Lord. Then people are gonna be engaged in wanting to know your hope. So we're not just about words. Again, that's a project. This is about us being like, man, I'm full of Jesus. I'm certainly not perfect. Sharing your story is what you've seen and heard so far. But it's honest and grace-filled and the words aren't a thing. The words are just illustrating what's already happened in your life and there's power in that because the Holy Spirit is in the whole thing. I had a fun illustration about C.J. Stroud who's the quarterback of the, Texas, uh, the Houston Texans. Hello, anybody, football? You're glazing over, like no. 22-year-old <laughs> phenom quarterback, unbelievable. You should be a Houston Texans fan. He made the playoffs a week ago when they clinched the AFC South. Now you're looking at me like, stop talking about football. <laughs> Scott Van Pelt interviewed him on ESPN after the game. And Scott Van Pelt said, man, hey, this is a crazy story. You broke all these NFL records. You're 22 years old. First time that a rookie coach and a rookie quarterback have gotten into the playoffs in history, yada, yada, yada. The whole nine yards said, what's up? And C.J. CJ Stroud said, I just want to give props to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Scott Van Pelt goes, okay, well, I know you're a religious person, and I respect that. But I asked you a question. <laughs> I like that. And it took, you almost saw CJ take a step back and be like, whoever taught me that witnessing was that phrase, like every athlete, I just want to give all glory to God, to the Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. You know, like, right? The words were one thing, but he took a step back and he answered Van Pelt's questions with such humility and grace about his story and what he had to face in the obstacles growing up in his life, and what D'Amico Ryan has meant as a coach, and what his offensive coordinator has meant, and what his teammates are about, and the brotherhood that they have, and how they've strengthened him, and how the man of character that he is becoming. You guys, it was testimony to a life transformed by God's grace. The first phrase, everybody's like, and then he told a story of God touching his life and transforming him. It is powerful. Go look at C.J. Stroud, Scott Van Pelt interview. So, sharing our story, you guys, is about living fragrant lives that back up the words so that the good news of what God has done in our life gets shared out of the same love that we've experienced. It's such good news. Band, I want you to come and lead us and we're gonna worship so where do I leave you with this? What's, I just, I, we, we want you to know the freedom of experiencing the love of Jesus and then sharing out of that love for other people. And God will take care of what he's doing in other people's lives and when he's gonna do it. So I just wanna give you this challenge. Get back in touch with your story. How was God wooing you in your story? How did you come to Christ? And what has he done in your life since? And then go walk in love, as Ephesians 5.2 says. Go walk in love 
and you'll have the opportunity to share that story in love and God can do his work in people that are looking for him. That's the freedom we have in Christ. It is so, so good that we get to share our stories with the world. Let's stand and celebrate the good news and worship together.